Today, our guest is Mark Johnson. Mark is the co-founder and senior partner of InnerSight. I talked to him about his new book, Lead from the Future, How to Turn Visionary Thinking into Breakthrough Growth. Enjoy the interview. Welcome to the Exponential Organization podcast. I'm your host, Lance Pepler. The world is going through a particularly challenging period at the moment. The purpose of this podcast is to bring you thought leaders from around the world and to help you to transform your organization. This show is sponsored by Adairstorm, a leading exponential growth consultancy. They can provide services ranging from an hour advisory call with a network of over 4,500 consultants worldwide through OpenEXO through to the 10-week EXO Sprint. So visit www.ideastorm.co.za to find out more. Today, our guest is Mark Johnson. Mark Johnson is a business advisor with over 20 years experience helping companies to create new growth strategies, navigate disruptive innovation, build innovation capabilities, and manage corporate transformation. He has consulted to Global 1000 and startup companies in a wide range of industries, including healthcare, aerospace and defense, energy automotive, and consumer packaged goods. He is currently co-founder and senior partner of InnoSight, a strategy and innovation consulting firm and the leading authority on disruptive innovation and corporate transformation, co-founded with Harvard Business School professor Clayton Christensen. He is the author of Lead from the Future. So welcome to the podcast, Mark. Um, Thank you, Mark, Lance. It's great to be here. Um, Mark, where am I speaking to you from today? Well, I am in uh, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. So just... Uh, sequestered a bit out here on the outer island, if you will, or uh, the area that's close to the ocean. Ah, lovely. That must be beautiful. And you founded your company, InnerSight, over 20 years ago. And for those people that don't know, could you tell us what InnerSight does and, you know, what has made it so successful uh, during the 20 years? Yeah, well, we're we're focused as a growth strategy and innovation firm. Um, You know, really, as we've evolved as a company over the last 20 years, we've more and more spent our time helping corporations and mid to large size companies, uh, organizations of different kinds to help create the next version of themselves through navigating disruptive change, how to deal with the challenges of commoditization, to be able to identify opportunities in the future and to be able to sustain and drive their core growth core growth while being able to figure out what are the new and different kind of opportunities that they should be thinking about either because they need to manage it from a growth gap perspective or just simply it's an opportunity to get beyond what things are happening in the core. And, you know, as we started in a site, we first were focused on disruptive innovation. I co-founded the firm with Clay Christensen of the Harvard Business School of Disruptive Technologies fame. And it was all about addressing the threat that companies were facing with, you know, whether it was the example of steel mini mills disrupting integrated mills or personal computers disrupting mini computers. Every company wanted to know how is it going to get disrupted? Mm. And so we wanted to apply that in a real practical sense. And really, we converted pretty quickly to say it really wasn't about the threat. It was more about how do you use the principles to create an opportunity? Mm. Where the customer, the consumer is going? How do you think about market adoption strategy? How do you think about the innovation behind that? And as we evolved the innovation thinking, we got into not just uh, you know sort of market 
adoption strategies, but how do you actually think about all the levers of business model and business model change that were needed to be able to affect new market growth. <clears throat> but as we worked with companies, we would find that so often some of these big new breakthrough efforts that took them out of their comfort zone had a lot of difficulty getting resources allocated to them and sustained. Mm. So that moved us into the realm to say we needed to integrate more strategic thinking, especially in leadership teams, that they could be longer term to really think about through a strategic lens, why would they be doing breakthrough innovations in the first place to make sure mm. that they would give the commitment, the alignment, you know, the sponsorship that's needed to allow these breakthrough growth efforts to happen. And then finally, where we are today is to try to bring not just the disciplines of strategy and innovation together, but also the right kind of leadership behaviors, uh, the right team-based leadership, both at a innovation team level, but also at the senior leadership team level, and how those teams need to work together to, to really evolve their thinking around what the future holds. And, yeah. and you know, more than just a futurist type of view, but literally sort of put themselves into that future with a systems level view of, of what the core business and what the new and different business could look like. Mm. So that brings us all together of leadership and strategy and innovation that we try to bring together as disciplines to help companies and other organizations navigate this disruptive change to figure out what's going to be the next best version of themselves. You know, how do they really, if you will, own the future? We've never gone through a more disruptive time and traumatic time than we are going through now. I believe how, you know, how's Innersight seen and been affected personally these last few months this year? And how are you finding companies um, reacting to this, this um, turmoil that we're going through at the moment? Well, I think first for Innersight, I mean, we're absolutely affected just like so many companies. I mean, mm. as you could imagine with consulting and advisory services. I mean, we have a core set of clients that have made the transition with us to virtual um, mm. and it's worked out actually really well. But a lot of efforts that we were uh, just about to get underway um, have been put on pause, uh, you know, just as they deal with the uncertainty of the future and with what we do as not being, if you will, essential. Um, mm. I mean, it, actually, it could be pretty vital, but uh, it none of it'll seem urgent. So uh, we've been affected by that, but, uh, but I think we've also found opportunities with a number of companies who are looking past the current crisis and looking about what happens uh, you know, post COVID-19 and how do they plan for that now? And I think that's what I would say just in general with companies. And I wrote not just the book Lead from the Future, but I just wrote a recent Harvard Business Review article about leaders and planning for the post-COVID crisis, I think companies, yes, they're going to have to deal with the immediate uh, need to stabilize things, to be responsive to all the things that are happening right now. But planning post, uh, you know, the 12 to 24 months and even looking out further to anticipate, you know, what things are going to be catalyzed by this crisis, what things are going to be, we call dislocated or changed, you know, in the negative. Um, and understand and start to think through what does it mean for us as a company and what seeds do we need to plant today? Um, there needs to be some of that planning now. And, and I see many companies that are falling victim of, you know, the tyranny of the urgent 
but there are a few companies that um, that we work with, and then even outside, who are are seeing uh, you know this crisis for as devastating as it is, especially in human cost. Um, mm. It's just terrible. But they are looking and saying, what does this mean for what things are better could be made better through innovation, through um, how we can help society, and so. I think somehow sooner rather than later, all companies need to have a balancing act of manage the here and now and operate and execute and do everything you need to do to sustain, especially cash flow, mm. but then start planning a point of view about um, what things are going to look like um, beyond the 12 to 24 months and how best to take advantage of, of a change situation, some permanent, some temporary to, to maximize the opportunity for growth. Yeah, I, I get different reports from different parts of the world. Uh, I was speaking to someone actually in Canada recently, and, and his perspective is that companies just want to go back to the way it was, which mm -hmm. to me seems like it won't necessarily happen. I, I, what's your general feeling? Are, are companies in, around you that you deal with looking for a new world after COVID, or do they generally want to get back to the way it was before COVID-19? Well, I, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great question, Lance. You know, my experience is the same. I think it's mixed. I think some that are more open to innovation and change and, you know, sort of going beyond the core business model and, and orthodoxies they face today, they're very open to, to being creative and thinking about how things could be different and taking advantage of that. And then other companies that have been very financially, say, driven, very controls-driven, um, you know, very much about operate and execute again at the core. They just want to see how things stabilize so they can continue to, to sort of implement all the sort of processes and rules and norms that they had before. So I, I think it's mixed. I, I think it depends a lot on the culture of the organization and just how forward-looking they are. You know, I think if you're looking through the rearview mirror, uh, you're going to want things immediately to be back to normal because you're dependent on your data of the present and the past. Those that are more visionary, I think, open it to the possibility. But what I would say is um, all companies, though, need to think through just in general the right approach, which is, one, there are going to be some things that I think permanently change. We don't know how much, such as work from home or remote, you yeah. know, remote work. Yeah. Um, and we don't know how much that's going to be. Uh, it's probably going to be more than, um, you know, what people say in the future, but it's probably going to be less than what's happening right now. Um, and, you know, and I think the other key piece is to know that nobody can know with perfect certainty how it all is, is going to be, whether you can get back to normal or whether they're going to have to make change. So I think the operative word here is learning. You know, how, to, how do you get companies to be good about learning and adjusting and pivoting that's going to be a, a key piece of this yeah now mark i want to ask you about your new book and um, not the first book you've written and the book is called lead from the future why did you decide to write this book and what can you give us a short summary of what the book contains sure well to write it is similar to the evolution of insight i felt you know, we needed to get just a much stronger point of view and to help individuals and companies out in the marketplace understand that, um, you know, trying to do breakthrough innovation and breakthrough growth without uh, thinking and planning in the right way 
you'd face the same problems we faced with our clients that it was very hard to get true commitment to beyond the core efforts and breakthrough innovation and, and to sustain it. So the book is an effort to get past, get past just innovation management. It, it, it's an effort to integrate this idea of leadership strategy and innovation to be able to build the right way of thinking and planning for the future and doing it that way as a much greater predictor of success of being able to pursue change and breakthrough growth, breakthrough innovation as part of that change. Mm. So we had talked a lot about what we call future back vision and strategy. It had never really been codified for us in a book. So this was really an effort to, to try to put those things down to paper, uh, which was an amazing experience because a lot of things came in the learning process of writing that I think have made our thinking even richer than, than what we had going into the book. Could you give us a, a short sum, uh, summary of the, what sure. that entails? Because um, when I've spoken to someone also, you know, if, if it looks at future back, what he said was, if you, if you stand here and you look in the future and you say, this is where I'm going to be in the future, the, the challenges seem insurmountable right, mm -hmm. when you're looking at today and you're looking in the future. But if you go and you almost claim what you would like to be in the future and then you look back, then it's easier to go towards that goal because in your mind, you've almost accomplished it and then you just need to work it out. Uh, how do you see that working with the future back? Well, I think, I think Lance, you know, I go from a quote that I used of a gentleman named Dennis Gabor, uh, who is a Nobel Prize winner in physics. Um, and it was the entry in one of my chapters. And he said that the future cannot be predicted, but futures can be invented, which is along the lines of what you talked about. You know, I think, I think again, why we wrote this book was, I think the future was getting a short shrift. I think it was, you know, that's crystal ball stuff. Nobody can predict it it's a waste of time to spend time in the future. So the essence of the book was really to try to make the case that looking into the future, meaning more than just in the traditional planning and forecasting period of like most companies, that's one to three years. If you could look out five years, seven years, nine years, and, and stick with it and spend time in it. And, and as you said, you know, be able to imagine what it could be and should be and, you know, build an inspiration to that and then and then define actually some real choices about that future. In our work, we found that as individuals and teams work on it and work on it over time, they really build a set of compelling insights from the time spent looking into the future or, or what we'd say, you know, putting in a foresight can come up these great insights that then lead to really good choices that could be seeds that are planted today of where um, you can continue to work them, uh, you know, to be able to have a better perspective of the future. So in summary, you know, the book was really about getting a view about the future or the long term, being able to bring it alive with what we talk about as really what we call a practical, actionable vision, more than just a HR exercise for a half day to come up with a vision statement, but actually a systems level view of your future and how you fit into it. And then do that through what we call future back, which in summary just means being able to think in a clean sheet system level way. And we have a whole bunch of attributes around that thinking. And then literally the planning that you literally 
define clean sheet, what that future could and should be, and then work it backwards in the sense of developing milestones and then ultimately initiatives of today that can be worked to anticipate, you know, to begin starting to invest in a careful way for that anticipated future that you've devised. Mm. Uh, it's said that Elon Musk, so uh, my question is around exponential technologies as well, because it's said that Elon Musk looks and he sees what technology is going to be in five to 10 years. Um, and he like uses Morse laws of doubling and then he looks at battery or solar or electric cars or self-driving cars, et cetera. And then he says, okay, how can I interject, you know, interact with this trajectory that's going to be doubling, um, you know, in three to five years time. And then that's where I want to be. Um, and then I work back mm -hmm. and, you know, construct my, my company to take advantage of that technology at that time. Does that form part of your thinking as well? Yes. And I, I mean, I think part of when writing this book, Lance, is we tried to, we thought about it not only empirically of our own company work, but we, we looked externally on, on leaders like Elon Musk or entrepreneurs like, and leaders like Elon Musk, as well as Jeff Bezos of, of Amazon and Steve Jobs of Apple and Reed Hastings of Netflix. And you see a similar, you see a similar kind of mindset. Um, you know, Jeff Bezos talked about, uh, you know, that he, he looks out to the seven-year time horizon um, because he's only competing against a fraction of the people that he would be if he's looking out one to three years. Um, by, in that by lengthening the time horizon, they can do, engage in endeavors that, you know, that others wouldn't pursue um, with that same kind of anticipation. The other way to phrase it is to think about the Canadian hockey great Wayne Gretzky who used to take, talk all the time. He doesn't skate to where the puck is. He skates to where the puck is going. Mm. And I think to take that a step further, you could, you could not only be skating to where the puck is going, but you could be uh, actually shaping where the puck should go. And, mm. and I think that's absolutely what you'll find is true visionaries, which you know, I think is not as mystical as it seems. They're simply doing what you just described of Elon Musk. They're, they're looking out, they're, they're seeing how technologies, as an example, could unfold. They're anticipating, based on that, what could be the unmet need in the future that could be addressed. And then they begin to envision, you know, how to wrap around that need of, if you will, a value proposition and a business model that they can get started on today. Mm you know, to be able to take advantage of the technology change or, or a change in society or what have you. Uh, what process do you think companies should do to go about that? Uh, is it sort of a structured process you engage with them to, to look out into the future? Uh, how, how does uh, like an executive get his mind around what the future will look like? Uh, well, yeah. Well, some of it I would say, Lance, is that, um, I mean, there's not a, an easier way to say this, um, but, well, let me say the part that I think is quite tangible and practical, yeah. which is you won't be able to figure out what the future can hold if you spend no time in it. So yeah. one of the practical things is, and of course this takes some belief, right, you know, and maybe pulling off of the evidence of some really, um, of some of our, you know, sort of avant-garde, you know, our new internet era 
companies that continue to drive this tremendous growth, but is the willingness to set aside time, 10% of a leadership team's time, up to maybe even up to 20%, mm. um, uh, especially in a crisis, spending time in the future, defining what is that, that horizon that challenges, stretches your thinking, but you know isn't too far out that it's utterly unrelatable. So you want to be able to spend time in that future and, and have the belief that if you could spend time in it and evolve a point of view, you will get insights and perspectives about it. So I think the first practical step is carving out the time. The second is to to, is to recognize back the future, you know, the future back thinking and process. It's not a traditional, let's get as much data as we can get and analyze it every which way we can and make decisions. That's very present forward and that's very much about the core business and that's fine. But this process is more like an innovation team. It's going to be more exploratory. It's going to be more about envisioning um, and creating, if you will, an architecture of the future. It's going to it's going to be more creative. It's going to be more inductive. Um, you know, the, the, it's more right brain, we like to say, you know, as mm. opposed to the left brain analytical. It, it requires dialogue. It requires debate because in the future, you don't have, um, you don't have facts. Uh, you have some projections of things from trends, but you have a lot of assumptions you're making. And the key is managing assumptions. And so you have to do that through through dialogue to flesh them out and prioritize them and then decide on how you're going to go test them. So that's the key um, with this process is instead of it being operate and execute, it's explore, envision, and discover. And so having a different kind of conversation as a leadership team, looking into the future, carving out the time and trying to generate those insights, I promise any team that does this because we've done it many times, that you'll have a much richer perspective about what you should invest in today as it relates to both beyond the core kind of growth, you know, trying to develop some of these new and different kinds of things. Doing it future back is much more powerful than trying to just decide off of today, you know, that you're going to just go into this new, new area. Um, so that's, that's the key of this process. Mm. And I guess it speaks about, you know, uh, what we as humans want. We want adventure. We want excitement. And if we at the coal face the whole time, then, you know, we can get tired and drained. But if we look up and we see the mountain to be conquered and the adventure to be had, then it'll invigorate the whole company if we're striving to forward to something exciting and aspirational as well, I guess. Absolutely. And that's why in my Harvard Business Review article, you know, leaders, do you have a clear vision of the post-crisis future? It was all about why in this time of crisis, vision is more important than ever, because I think you want to help people through a very set, a very set of dark days. And vision, if done right, not only is a way to begin to build a point of view about the future, but it's also the inspiration. It's the hope. It's the, it should be very purpose-driven. It should give direction. And so the organization doesn't feel like it's, you know, floundering or, you know, going all kinds of different ways the next couple of years, but it actually has an intended North Star that if you can look past all the turbulence for the next year or two, uh, hopefully it's not two, maybe it's just one, um, yeah. that past that, you know, there's still an intended direction that has purpose and meaning for the organization. That should be, that should be, 
very clear and that should get developed. That's what I think is the glue, the motivation that can hold people and its organization together in, you know, very trying times. Mm. As I'm talking to you, I remember Steve Jobs and when he held up the iPad and he said, you know, you might not know what this is. You might not think you need it, but you will. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I want to ask you, how often should the future be revised? And how often should the leadership in the company look into the future? Is it a regular occurrence? Is it every three months, six months, nine months? Or is it a continuous type of process refining the goals and aspirations for the future? Well, it's a really great question. I mean, I, I don't think I could give a, a, you know, recipe or an exact, you know, prescription, Yeah. but I, I will say principles wise, you hit on, I think what is important here, this isn't like a major vision strategy transformation effort that maybe a company embarks in once every five years in general, just to say, Hey, we're really going to look more deeply at things and you know, what, how the company is is set up and where it's going. I think in the world we live in, whether it's this pandemic or a cyber cyber attack or you know something else that happens, you know, global warming and climate change. Yes, all those kinds of things. You know, it's like the French poet Paul Valéry said: "The future's not what it used to be." I don't think we. I think we need to make this an ongoing strategic management system, which means. Yes, we build a point of view about seven years out, and then that leads to a walk back in terms of some things we could hopefully start today, planting some seeds, managing the risk of that, starting small. But then we're always revisiting this. Of course, the teams chartered for the effort are doing it every day, but leadership teams, just like they're revisiting budgets and plans fairly frequently, they should be revisiting the narrative of that future. Maybe it's every three months, maybe it's in the case of the pandemic, maybe it's soon more often counterintuitively. But some periodicity that allows to, as the future comes in contact with reality, how does it change the way you're thinking on the edges of that intended narrative, that vision? How is it that these different efforts are were panning out? Some are panning out better than others. Some aren't really working. So what adjustments need to be made there? And, and again, the leadership team doesn't own those day to day, but they need to sponsor them and govern them if they're going to really see them get the support that they need over the long haul. So it's never a one and done. I think of it as strategic management um, system or the way 21st century management needs to be, which is it needs to be this classic, you know, manage the business for repeatability that's the way it's been the last hundred years and own this learning piece of being able to explore and vision discover, uh, you know, as often as some time every week to be able to, to learn as a leadership team and as an organization of how could you get disrupted? You know, what are the disruptive opportunities? How do you continue to shape the future and, and have that ability to be driving both as part of what good leaders have to do in the world that we live. To end this um, conversation has been fascinating. Uh, You mentioned purpose and purpose-driven, and I've interviewed now about 30 people from around the world, and about 10, about a third of them have been around purpose and purpose-driven. And you you mentioned it about purpose-driven and purpose companies. 
is that what you're finding a lot about a lot as well that companies need to be driven by purpose and, and be purpose-driven companies i do i i think i think it is um i think i think there's a recognition um more than ever about what is the role of companies of 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 their their work and what they contribute uh, to society more than just shareholders and stakeholders you know in the united states um the uh, uh there are a set of companies that are part of a uh, business roundtable organization ibm and johnson and johnson and jp morgan and they've all uh committed and helped change the charter of a business roundtable to be as much about serving society as it is of serving shareholders. And I think with that serving society comes a whole effort around driving purpose that, that is obviously enabling this, I think, better goal, which if we're all going to thrive in the world that we live in, I think companies need to be able to expand behind beyond you know just profitability but to sustainability and with sustainability i think comes better integration in with society but you see companies like siemens you know i wrote about this that's moving beyond you know maximizing shareholder value to an explicit mission of serving society um, that's siemens then china's tencent is embraced embraced a mission of improving the quality of human life through digital information and then just taking it further, tech for social good. So they're literally saying, you know, let's put this in the context of social good. And I think all of this is driven by this greater purpose. And, and like I said, the benefit of that is not just ultimately what it can do for all of us, but I think within the organization where these purpose-driven statements and vision development efforts are happening, it's, it's creating, I think, much stronger motivation for the people in the organization and what we found is the the companies that say succeed in transformation we called it the transformation 20 all of them showed had this shared they all had in common this this desire and this effort to to really drive a true purpose um, and that and that i think is, is part of the future yeah uh, in, in my world it, it we call it a massive transformative purpose mtp but um yeah that and that gives me hope for the future so, Mark, so you've written the book, you articles in HBR, uh, and I'll have links to both of those after in the show notes. But how else can people contact you and engage with you? And can people, you know, contact organizations, contact InnoSight? How would they do those three things or two things that I've mentioned? Sure. I mean, one is they could just uh, they could just find. I think a lot of this on InnoSight, InnoSight.com directly to the book and you know some of the things we talked about and just sort of getting deeper in this topic uh we have a website within a website called futurebackleadership.com uh, the book is available i think on pretty much every outlet um including amazon.com and then anybody that wants to email me directly to keep the conversation i am uh, at mjohnson at innosite.com and also, of course, as I think most of us are on LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn and uh, happy to continue the conversation. And I can verify that you, you responded to me. So thank you so much. And thank you for writing the book <laughs> and, and all that you do. I really appreciate you. So generous with your time. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you, Lance.
It's been a pleasure talking to you. And if you, the listener, has found this as enjoyable as I have, then you can contact me. My email address is lance at ideastorm.co.za or you can go to my website, which is www.ideastorm.co.za. So until next time, enjoy the week. Goodbye. Goodbye, Mark. Hi, Lance.